Hey everybody, Juan Perez here, uh, your union brother right here. How's everyone doing? I'm Chris Lopez. I am your union brother on TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms. All the platforms. And, and uh, when you mix high octane uh, energy drinks and organizing, you do get Organizing Monster. Sponsored by Monster. <laughs> <laughs> We're just bullshitting. Cut that out. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> there's a lot been going on, Chris, and labor, the labor movement. Um, what do you think about everything that's going on? Well, we are the hottest labor podcast in San Diego, and uh, <laughs> self-proclaimed, <laughs> self self-proclaimed, yeah. obviously. It's on our bios, but we do have a good balance on this podcast. I think. I think people, uh, you know, I'm the good one, and you're the bad one. I wear black. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And uh, uh, and judging by the the laughter of our special guest, we'll go ahead and introduce her right now. This is Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. All right, and uh, you know, tell us a little about your yourself, your background, and uh, hopefully nothing about me. Thank you. First of all, <laughs> I am your union sister. Um, I've got. A, I'm, maybe I need to get that on TikTok. Uh, I so. This is awesome being back in San Diego, as you guys know. Of course, I started my union career here in San Diego. Um, I worked at the San Diego and Imperial Counties Labor Council right here in this very building um, uh, 20 years ago, I guess. Uh, I was a political director there, um, ended up becoming the secretary treasurer uh, of the Labor Council. And then I went and took a detour, went to the assembly for about eight and a half, nine years, and um, had the opportunity, was asked to come back to the labor movement to basically head, become the secretary treasurer of the California Labor Federation. So uh, doing the same thing I did here in San Diego, but statewide and, and having a good time doing it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So real quick, um, I follow you on all the platforms and uh, and I see that you have Unionized California. What is Unionized California? I got it on my shirt. You got too. it on your shirt. Got it I everywhere. have a shirt too. Uh, <laughs> but if you can explain a little bit what it is, is it a campaign? Is it a, just a website or what's going on there? It, it is the union movement in California. So what we wanted to do, it's been about a year now that I've, uh, I was elected to head the labor fed and we wanted to really think about what we were doing in the Federation. And for those who don't know, maybe somebody's listening to your broadcast who doesn't know what the California labor Federation is. Sometimes people are like, is that like a government agency? I'm right. like, no, As word absolutely Federation. not. So, and we're trying to figure out the best way to describe it to people, but it's literally the union of unions, right? We we t- we have 1,300 different local unions who are part of the labor fed, um, 2.2 million workers, and we try to get everybody moving in the same direction, supporting one another, highlighting the labor movement, passing good legislation, being together, um, showing solidarity in all forms. We thought when when I took over, one of the things I wanted to do is say, how do we refocus everything we do on what matters the most? So I've been in, in organized labor long enough that we've kind of had these ebbs and flows, right? There were times, I'd say in the 2010s, 2009, we were like scared to even say the word union. We were trying to be like, we're for working families or we're, you know, we're part of the community. And it, it was because there was a lot of backlash and we weren't embracing exactly what we did. We want to do just the opposite right now. Of course, one of the great things is this is a great time to be in organized labor, right? Everybody wants a union. Literally everyone wants a union. But it's also important to make sure people know we're here, that we're here for a specific reason. So we said, what if we refocused everything we did on two basic principles? One being 
to help our unions and our union members get stronger contracts, to be in a better position, to ensure that they're uh, getting the most out of what they can get at work, make sure their voice is really strong at work. And the second is to grow the movement, to actually grow more union members. Um, we know, of course, as union density goes up, it's good for all of us. It's good for those of us in the union movement, right? It helps It helps with our contracts. It, it makes us more powerful, but it's also good for workers who don't yet have the opportunity to have a union, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, and we know that. And so we said, what if we focus everything just on those two principles, right? That's why we're here. And of course, everybody kind of nods their head and says, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. But are we really doing it was my question. So for example, our legislative program in the state capitol, are we looking at every bill that we're thinking about really putting our time and effort into and saying, does this grow the labor movement or help strengthen somebody's contract? And if not, why are we doing it? You know, it, it's not our time right now to, to work on other people's issues. It's our time to work on worker issues. And so um, when it comes to politics, one of my pet peeves, even though I, I've always been a good Democrat, you know, I'm a, a progressive Democrat, but we are not an extension of the Democratic Party. And we can't be. We should be doing politics when it makes sense for unions. We should be supporting workers who support unions. We shouldn't be supporting workers who might have a D behind their name, but don't support unionizing California. We should make sure that as we're investing in in politics, that we have that as an outcome. We we want to make sure we're, we're – why would we be involved if it didn't have to do with strengthening our contracts or broadening and strengthening the labor movement? And then last but not least is really focusing on organizing. I mean, we've talked about that forever in the labor movement. We're going to focus on organizing. We're going to put more money into it. But we said, no, we've got to actually be where workers are. We know workers want a union. How do you get a union? That's the website, right? UnionizeCalifornia.com. Org. We want to make sure if a worker wants or is interested in organizing their website, we are their website, even their website, even their, website. their work site, that we can get them the information that they need in a timely matter to, to start that process. And we've been able to do that. You know, I think you hit the, the nail on the head, Lorena, because you're you're talking about uh, the main thing kitchen table economics, you're talking about organizing, you're talking about the labor movement. And I always do say on the podcast, the approval of labor unions is 71%. And that's not just one party. Mm -hmm. That's people coming together. And so I have another question. It's like, do you think labor can be get back to the density we had in like the 30s or higher? Because right now the density is, is not where I think it should be. No, it's not. And we're little spoiled in California. Our union density was one of a few states that actually went up while the rest of the country continues to see their union density go down slightly. Um, but I think we can, and I think we have a responsibility to. Uh, and some of it is going to be not allowing the media or others to define this as a moment, right? This is, I, I, I latch on and in fact kind of fan the flames on calling things like hot labor summer yeah. or we're talking about, you know, strike November, whatever it was, right? That's fine because we want people to get excited about something. But what's not fine is saying this is a moment. This is a change in fundamentally how workers are viewing themselves coming out of the pandemic and the entry into the workforce of a new generation of workers who realize they're fucked. And I, oh, you, do you, you want can me cuss. to? You can okay, cuss. I can cuss. Yeah. We'll cut it out if okay. we want, but probably not. Um, yeah, probably not. But a, a whole generation of, of workers who are like, 
This whole system is out of whack. How do I unfuck a system? And we, as the labor movement, are the only people there that can do that. We know that. So when you look at those numbers of 71% approval ratings, which is phenomenal, if you look at young people, it's even higher. If you look at that under 30 group, we're, we're sitting about 85, 90%. You know, if it were the next generation. And what we can't do is stop, we can never stop having the excitement, having the opportunity, having the enthusiasm for this movement to build the long-term density. That's awesome. I mean, one of the reasons we started the podcast is, you know, we want to keep the labor movement. you got to be, you got to put the energy into it. Absolutely. You know, solidarity, you know, you can say it, but, you know, solidarity is in here. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just a sign on our backdrop. It is no, assignment. it's a verb. Yeah, that's right. So, no, I think you're right. I think all of that is right. We agree with that. We talk about, we just said over and over on the podcast, our listeners have heard it. They already memorized it. But uh, in your in your time fighting with labor, because, you know, you've been here for a while with labor, fighting for working people, have you ever seen it so active? Oh, like, no. I know you just mentioned that, like, in the teens, you were, we were afraid to say union. Why, why has the, sh- the tide shifted so much? Do you think it was the pandemic that kind of woke us all up and like highlighted all the systemic issues that we have in society or what, like, and all of a sudden, I think it's cool to be labor. I think like wearing this shirt and going out to the movie is cool. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't think that honestly, when I first started at the labor council five years ago, I didn't, my mind wasn't that, but my mindset is that now we have a podcast about it. So in your time fighting with labor, has it, has it been this active before? Like all these strikes that are going on and, and whatnot. So I don't think it's been this active. You know, I I do have to say even uh, heading the San Diego Labor Council in a time when we were very, the city was very anti-union, in the middle of the pension wars, the PLA wars, everything we were facing, uh, it was tough. But we never stopped embracing what we knew to be the truth, that we are and will remain the only hope for working people. We are the only institution that can change the dynamics that we have in this country where young people and workers, young and old, can, can only change their position life through a union. I mean, that is the truth. Billionaires have become richer. Working people have become struggling more. Um, I saw yesterday uh, Americans have more debt than they've ever had, and we're going to fight about whether or not that their wages should go up along with inflation. Like, no, that's not okay. So it is exciting that more people are realizing this. If you think about it too much, it gets a little depressing, right? The reason they're thinking about it is because things have gotten so bad. But our job is to bring that hope and energy and to continue to say, this is what we're about. You know, um, we have a little saying, we had it here. Those, those of your listeners who worked with us at the Labor Council back in the day know it as well. And that's like, don't be no se puede, right? It's very easy to get in this spiral where we're like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, we're dying. Oh, this institution. No, no. We have to be si se puede, right? We have to have that hope. We have to have that energy. We have to give people that opportunity that they want to believe that in this wonderful country we live in, there is an, a chance. There is a chance that they can buy their own home, that they can have health insurance, that they're not going to end up bankrupt, that their children might end up in a better spot. And that is through the labor movement. You know, it's interesting, you know, when we say the labor, 
if we concentrate, I believe, on kitchen table economics, the main thing, you know, that's what's uniting people. People are having trouble paying their rent. And the message is getting out. I mean, labor is hot. I mean, we have a lot of stars in labor. I mean, Lorena, you are a star. And, uh, you know, we have Chris Smalls. We have, you know, Sarah Nelson. We have a lot of people. And a lot of this is happening on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, they go home, they watch TV, they're maybe playing, you know, on their cell phone, on Instagram, TikTok, or whatever. So do you think uh, social media is a, is, a, is a viable platform? Do you think it's going to grow uh, with the labor movement? You know, I, I think it has a place, and I think it's important. And I think, you know, all of us are, are I think, investing in having communications, people who do social media, being on social media. But we have to think of every platform as kind of a different function, right? So some of the platforms... Um, are good because they let the media know that something's happening, right? If you look at, for example, Twitter, it's really good to help the media know what's going on to help our positions to kind of get it out that way. But you only have Uber activists really on Twitter, Facebook, the old school. Like, don't forget about Facebook because, you know, there's still a lot of our retirees are – I shouldn't even say that. People my age and above um, are still <laughs> on Facebook, though, and still get a lot of information that way. And we want to keep them active in the labor movement. But then you have all these new folks, right, these young folks. And so you're talking about TikTok. You're talking about um, Instagram reels and doing Instagram even, but trying to make sure that every space that opens up, we're there. What has been shocking to me, and um, it's one of the reasons we're trying to really expand, is TikTok and other short kind of videos have really helped people understand labor, um, you know, understand what's going on with the Starbucks workers or with the Amazon workers or at the UPS strike, right? They've gotten a lot of that information from, you know, short little uh, videos. I know you you created some of them, right? We, we saw some of your strikes, at the UFCW actions out. And, um... well, we did have the most successful strike in UFCW history. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> and be, before I forget, Lorena, you being a star, I do want you to sign my mm. ticket sign. Of course. Oh, yeah. So there you go. There you go. Oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Don't want to forget. Uh oh. You wherever um, you want. Yeah. So I think that social media definitely has a place, and we will uh, continue to use it. And we need to we need to keep hiring young people who understand the next thing that comes out, right? Like. I used to be, I used to say, we had those young worker things, remember, like, oh, the young worker program, and was involved then, and you're like, great, that's, I was 35, I had two kids, I wasn't exactly, you know, the vision of a young worker. We really need to make sure, as we explore all these ways of getting out, that we're depending on the people who um, are audiences as well, and so we're trying to do that at the Fed, um, and hopefully... Others will as yeah. well. Yeah, because we, I'm not as active on social media as Chris. You know, he's pretty active. But social media has connected us and even the podcast with other labor activists across the country. And they'll be like, hey, I just, I'm from Chicago. I just saw your podcast. That's awesome that you guys are doing this in San Diego. We should do something in Chicago. Like that. Oh, that's it cool. starts connecting dots, I feel. Yes. And it's our, and like this is a time for all of us to create our own platforms and then, then to join forces and then to elevate each other and that's what social media is but i, I when in cuz i'm an organizer so i talk to workers all the time and most workers don't even know that you could organize right you just don't know that existed i didn't know that existed before i started 
at the labor council five years ago. Right. And I went to college. So I could only imagine the average person. So that's why I think one of our key things starting the podcast is we want to have this information to the public accessible so that any average Joe or Jane can see it and be like, well, I can organize Starbucks. I can do this and that. And I think that's the social media, the YouTube, the, the podcast that we're trying to push out that it's information. Absolutely. If you don't have information, then you don't know it even exists. You didn't know how to ask that question in the first place. So it goes hand in hand with the website, with your Unionized California, letting everybody know how to organize and give them resources. Right. So I want to make sure. So every time you guys have a podcast or you're on social media, you should end it with sending people. If you want a union in your workplace, go visit this website and we will take care of it from there. So unionizedcalifornia.org. <laughs> I'll start sponsoring your your podcast. Oh, snaps. Oh, Everything is out of our pockets, but that'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Any help is good. But so you mentioned Democrats earlier. Uh, you're pretty outspoken. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, we follow you on Twitter, and uh, you're outspoken about corporate Dems. Uh, you don't hold punches. Do you think labor should hold politicians accountable more? Oh, absolutely. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made is to become complacent and complicit within the Democratic Party. And so I think, uh, and if you look back at what happened in California, right, Silicon Valley was exploding. People were saying how exciting and cool it was, and we kind of just watched. And we watched as things became so large and taking over um, their whole idea of things being disruptive, right? Well, they were disrupting average Joe workers. I mean, that shit's not cool. And yet, um, I think because it was the like cool corporations within the Democratic Party, there was pressure not to say much. And so uh, I, I think it is important to always take on um, the corporations and to take on things on behalf of working people. I mean, that's our job. Our job is not to simply get Democrats elected. Now, that being said, I want to be really clear that you can look at the two parties and you can look at the platforms of the party and it's very clear who supports working people and who doesn't in their platform, in their overall view of humanity, right? Our president, not always perfect, but dude, that guy believes in unions. He's the strongest union president we've ever had. If you look at the NLRB and some of the stuff the NLRB is doing, it is the best decisions we've ever imagined. Um, and so that's important. It's important to point out. Now, I just read an article yesterday that the co-chair of the DNC um, is from a firm that took millions of dollars from Lyft, right, to, to actually skirt labor laws in Massachusetts. You know, they're, they're the, the kind of... Um, the fake uh, astroturfing group. Uh, it was a PR firm that that is trying to suggest that the workers don't want benefits and all this. And I'm thinking that's going to be that's going to be the chair of our next convention. Well, sh count me out. I'm not going to go support that. You know. And I think we have to say, hey, we're going to hold people accountable. Are you a Democrat? And you can't be. If I'm going to support a Democrat, I don't want a Democrat who says, yes, I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-equality. All really good things. Me too. Me too. I'm pro-environment. But, you know, uh, we, we should be balanced when it comes to economics. And the crazy thing is, if you look at why we've lost elections in this country, it's because most Americans aren't balanced when it comes to economics. Most believe that workers are getting screwed, Democrats or Republicans. So why are we allowing, why are we part of a party that allows people to be like, well, I'm economically conservative? Well, give that shit up. 
you know, um, decide who you're with. And we won't blindly follow people, nor should we, um, if they're not willing to stand with us. I think exactly, you know, I, you kind of go into my next question I want to ask you. It's standing in solidarity. Um, you know, it's not just about Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Green Party, whatever. It's about people coming together. Mm-hmm. And so what does solidarity mean to you? Solidarity does mean that we're coming together and importantly, that we're trusting the workers, right? So if, if workers are out on strike, for example, and I don't know the ins and outs of everybody's contract or why they've chosen to vote to strike or why they're out on the picket line, but I trust them. I'm not crossing that picket line. I'm going to pick up a picket sign and walk with them. Do I need to know every detail about their contract? Do I need to argue with somebody whether they're being reasonable or not? No, no. Solidarity is I trust the worker. If somebody's trying to organize their workplace, I believe they have a reason they need to do that. In fact, I think most people don't even know the reason sometimes, but uh, we need to go get them and 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 help them share and experience what it is. Um, but having that solidarity, one of the things that I've loved about this last year is seeing solidarity in a way that I think is really um, staggering. And if again, we can go back to let's go back to like 2010, right? We were having fights here locally in in San Diego, public sector and private sector. And you're the person that's upsetting the mayor. And so he's going to take it out on me. And we heard a lot of that in the labor movement, right? Like, well, you still have a pension. I don't. So why do you have a pension? And it was tough. We were constantly trying to keep people together. We were trying to push a, an agenda. We're not seeing that right now. And I think it's amazing. One of the first examples was when uh, the UC workers went out on strike, right? At first, I was like, oh, gosh, who's going to be the first person to say they're just student workers or, you know, not a single union. We got strike sanctioned statewide. Everybody was supportive. Everybody helped them get a good contract at UC. And it was amazing. We saw that with the teachers in the classified in Los Angeles. They, um, classified voted to go out on strike and the teacher said we'll honor that and they knew that by going out they were going to help the classified workers the custodians the bus drivers the lunch ladies get their contract and they did um we're seeing it now i have not heard anyone say say who cares about the actors or sag aftra oh there you know and there was a time when we were being pit against each other People who maybe had middle class jobs versus working class, people who were doing a little bit better. Um, But that's not happening. Everybody is supporting one another. And that is what the labor movement is about. And I love to see it. When hotel workers understand that they have more in common with the actor on the picket line than either of them do with the CEOs who are putting them in that position, that's solidarity. Amen. Definitely. Yeah, I know. When we went to the convention, the Dem convention in May, and we went to that uh, action uh, out there, the Hollywood action, yeah, we saw the solidarity. We saw it, like, everybody come together. You went up and spoke, and uh, Liz, and uh, it's kind of like, hey, we're out here. We're not on strike yet, but we're out here supporting them because they're going to be out there supporting us, and that's the kind of solidarity that we know needs to happen no matter what if we're going to get out of this alive kind of deal because I do see it as... Yeah, it's only getting worse. Like, Mm -hmm. I see it. Like, people are getting pushed out of San Diego right now. People Mm -hmm. are buying houses. 
somewhere else. They're living in TJ and crossing the border every yep. single day to mm-hmm. work here. So Blackstone, BlackRock, whatever it is, they're buying homes. So they're making it really hard for the working class to buy homes, to make it affordable. Yeah. So I think it is getting worse. And that's why I think it's kind of like that breaking point that we're getting at as a society when people are like, well, obviously we've been lied to. It hasn't been working for us. It just has not. Whatever they're telling us on the news, TV, movies, it hasn't been working for us. So now we're going to start coming out for each other. And when we went out there for that action, I felt the solidarity. I was like, whoa, there's so many different people. And the way that they talked, the speakers spoke, we're going to be out there for them and they're going to be out here for us. That's that's what is needed to survive. I know you said it's like all doom and gloom if we pay attention. Um, I'm an organizer. You have to be optimistic because when you're organizing them, you're not, you don't tell them like we might have, we might get a contract. We might nah, fuck that. We're gonna win this and we're gonna w- and hold them accountable. And because you need one job to be enough, mm-hmm. so you have to be optimistic, but you can't be a salesman and be a liar. So I have to, I have to actually have that positive. You have attitude. to believe it. I have to believe it. And there, I think there are a lot of us in the labor movement right now that really believe it. You yeah. know, um, I'm I, I don't want to say this in a way that sounds I, I am actually personally religious, um, but organized labor is also my religion. You know, I, I there's few things I believe in as much, you know, God and and a good union. Um, so. For us, though, you have to believe that in order that you can provide that hope for workers who are fighting for it on the front lines. And um, we have to remind them, too. There's more of us than them. There are more workers than bosses. And the fact that we have been put in this position for decades now to believe that somehow something's going to trickle down, that you have an opportunity yourself to become a billionaire. I'm sorry you can fanboy Elon Musk all you like, and you're never going to end up with his billions of dollars. You know, that's not happening. You're probably going to go broke trying to trade tesla stock so um it's time to like come together and fight who the enemy is yeah, i think people are realizing who they are you know when uh, people asked us what maybe 20 years ago you know what do you do well i you know people say oh i was a you know i'm a working labor you know <laughs> but now people go up to me and go hey what do you do for a living and i'll go i'm the i'm the baddest loudest union representative in the country that's what i tell them because that's how confident I am with the labor movements, how I'm confident with the leadership of what's going on, because right now it is hot, hot, hot. You know, yeah, so. definitely. And I say I'm the hottest organizer alive, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I know Maribel is trying to take that title from me, but we go back and forth. Um, Maribel's pretty hot. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's good. She's, she's smart. Got the curly hair going. You you got you got to be careful of a Latina with curly hair and organized labor. Oh, check yeah. out her on one of our podcasts. Yeah, she's on the labor panel. But real quick, since now that the economy is doing this, but workers are standing together, people are on strike. UAW is about to take a vote. Yep. like 160,000 workers. Do you think we'll ever have another general strike? Do you think we're boiling up to maybe a general strike? What do you think about a general strike? I'm not sure, right? Um, I'm not sure we're there. Uh, I don't know if we even need to be, quite frankly, um, yet. Because we have things going on like UPS was possibly going to go on strike, right? We have UAW, um, the big three, that on September 14th is the date, right? Um, These things are coming up and putting so much pressure uh, because they're so large. Uh, We saw it with UC, right? When the UAW uh, student and and graduate student researchers went on strike, um, we know 
that in different areas, they can grind things to a halt. We're seeing it in Los Angeles right now in the movie industry. We're seeing it in hotels, 100 different hotel locations in LA. Um, so I think allowing the workers who have a contract, who need to exhibit this kind of power and us being with them is really important right now. And then moving towards more class solidarity, right? More um, interclass solidarity and, and moving towards a consciousness where all workers understand that they're similarly situated, right? Um, if we were, I think more important than a general strike right now would be like, where could you have a strike in a workplace that touches everybody? Amazon? Yeah. Right? I mean, there are, we don't even need it to be a general strike. We need to target our resources and make it work. Because a general strike, we're not in, I mean, this is just me being a little bit realistic. I don't want to be no se puede. <laughs> if I feel like it's coming, I'll come back and be like, I was wrong. Let's do a general strike. But I think there are just so many opportunities we have to shut down certain industries and to really put the, apply the pressure one-on-one -on -one that we should focus on that and give those workers the support they need to be successful in that. Right. Are you, okay. All right. And I think I think that's true because like whenever there's a strike and they're successful or a threat of a strike like UPS and they're successful, then it becomes a domino effect anyways because other workers are like wait it does work if we apply that then it does work so they're more motivated even in a different industry they're more motivated so i think right now what's going on is that workers are seeing like well they did it why can't we and then they start questioning their own leadership i think that's a hundred percent what's happening and our leadership in, in organized lead uh, organized labor needs to pay attention to that. I, I have not found a rank and file union member who wants a leader who's, you know, in bed with the employer. Uh, you know, those days of we're, we're being cooperative and we're going to work with you. No, we're going to be demanding and we're going to ask for more. And we see more and more of that, especially from our rank and file, both organized and unorganized. And I think it's time we, we apply that pressure. Are unions badass? Unions, of course, are badass. Well, what do you think about starting a labor party? Hmm. I I don't know. I mean, I'd rather just hold people accountable in both parties. Um, I I know this is weird because I was an assembly member for so long. I'm kind of sour on politics, right? I don't think um, that the political institutions in this country have really allowed us to achieve. And in fact, if if nothing else, it's it's been a hindrance to us organizing and demanding more. The fact that we live within a system that has rules that, you know, both written and just understood, it's kind of taken away our power. Um, I used to tell people, for example, we were we've been trying to pass a bill in the state assembly to allow the staff there to unionize, right? And God, I think we'll get it this year. I think, fingers crossed, we're, we're at the final line of getting it this year. And, and this is a bill that I tried three, four times and, and failed and failed last year. And then um, I think this year we'll get it. But last year I was so frustrated and I was saying, and, and this is the truth, like, you don't need a bill to organize. You don't need a bill. You don't need permission to have a union in your workplace, right? We don't need to work within what we've been told is a system. Last year, I was really proud of the Labor Federation. We did something we've never done. Um, because of the way we have those jungle primaries, we had a, a seat that was Republican on Republican. Now, normally, we just walk away from it. Like, you know, come on. We, we just spend money in Democratic seats. 
But this was a situation where you had a Republican assembly member, Tom Lackey, who had, I think, the most solid voting record of any Republican in the assembly against a guy um, because they'd been drawn into a district together with a zero, zero for labor. He was anti-union. In fact, he was attacking Tom Lackey in the primary because Tom Lackey had uh, a pension. um, He had been a public employee. You know, there was this anti-union stuff going on. It's a district in California. There's still Dems. There's still union members. And we said, you know, maybe we throw out this idea that we we care about you being perfect, right? I want the people who care about us the most, people who believe in unions. And we invested in that race. Um, It was supposed to be very tight. Tom Lackey won by 15 percentage points. And he turns around. He's, you know, an assembly member. He co-authored the staff unionization bill. He co-authored the the bill to have autonomous vehicles um, have to have a safety operator. He is actually champion labor legislation that makes sense. I mean, not every piece, but I was like, you know, why have we allowed ourselves to say the the party system or this two party system? It, and even I'm not saying I I would be afraid that a labor party was just another thing worth sending all of our money to and playing politics, you know, rather than focusing on what's more important. Every dollar we spend on politics, we should ask ourselves, unless that's going towards organizing or strengthening contracts, um, are, we should be spending it on organizing and strengthening contracts. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the NLRA didn't get signed until the 1930s, but workers were organizing beforehand. They were going on strike before that time. Well, I mean, we were doing better even before exactly. <laughs> <laughs> before they uh, institutionalized it in, in law, right? And so in some ways, I would like to get back to figuring out how we challenge the system completely and not work within the system always. Yeah, I, I always say that too. We shouldn't be investing more in organizing because in organizing, you empower workers to take everything by the horns no matter what. If they're empowered at the workplace... They take it by the horns, they get a better contract, they get a pension and health care. Then they're more educated overall, they're better off, they're healthier. They don't need to be working two or three jobs so they can focus on other things at home. But they know that they can trust the union at that point, which is themselves. And they're just more educated, they're more involved in politics after that. They take it from the, the unions, like the recommendations. So I think that within itself is the force, is organized workers. It's not politics. Politics is just something that's there. That's all it is. It's just a, a weapon or a tool that we can use every once in a while. But even if laws get passed, like with the NLRA and the NLRB, it doesn't mean it gets enforced anyways on the back end. Uh, uh, you're speaking my language. One of the things we've been focused on this year is enforcement. California has some of the best labor laws in the U.S., a lot of which I passed, um, over the last eight years. Hey. I mean, we have, we have done an incredible job. It doesn't matter if they're not enforced. Right. And you know that you're, you know, I, I knows better than anyone. Right. We, we pass AB five. You're not supposed to, you know, 1099 workers who aren't, who are actually employees. And if they're not employees, they can't be unionized. And you know that we still have stagehands running around at shows who, you know, are going to get a 1099 at the end of the night. Right. And until we have enforcement of the labor laws we passed or until and some of that has to come from internal enforcement the the union itself bringing it up the workers themselves knowing their rights and being able to to express their rights absolutely it's it, you know it's just a the law is just a piece of paper mm-hmm. you know uh you have to bring it alive like you bring solidarity alive you bring uh, the focus on kitchen table economics, you bring the co- focus on the labor movement, organizing, unionized California, the energy that we put into in, into the system. Mm-hmm. 
and we put energy into the system, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get something back. Definitely. Scab, is it all right to use that term? Oh, yeah. Is that a question? Uh, just it's not a polite term because it's not a polite thing to do. Right. So, you know, if people don't want to be called a scab, don't scab. Right. Absolutely. I, I think people who are uh, <laughs> who uh, question that term have never run a picket line. Maybe have never been on a picket line. I mean, I've run picket lines in the snow. I've run them in El Centro. I've run them in San Diego. And, uh, you know, anyone who uh, crosses a picket line, well... God forgive you. I, I mean, I, I think that's it. I think when you've been involved with the labor movement long enough and you've been on the picket line or you've supported workers on picket line, you know how much is at stake for those workers, right? Mm -hmm. You know what they're putting on the line. Mm -hmm. And to have somebody walk past and act like they don't exist, to have somebody go you know, work um, and take somebody's job when they're trying to make a world that's better for all of us, mm -hmm. yeah. Scabby scabs, 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 right? Fuck yeah, scabs. and I tell Chris, I'm like, you, you, you decide to be a scab. You don't decide to be white, black, woman, man, or whatever. Uh, like a scab is an active thing that you decide to be. Sure. A conscious decision, and the solidarity. You're breaking the solidarity of humanity. I feel <laughs> yes. like there's people coming together, risking everything, risking their jobs and their livelihoods mm -hmm. to, like you said, like you better the world. And you're like, fuck you. I, I want to just get paid less yep. by, by crossing this picket line. So I want to do what's best for me in this moment at this you know, particular time rather than what's best for everybody. Right. So it's, there's a reason that big inflatable rat shows up at picket lines and protests because that's what a scab is. You know, if you want to you be a rat, be a rat. But don't expect me not to call you on it. Period. Definitely. So real quick, like this language that we use, we cuss, we use the term scab. I'm seeing that all over the place on, on social media with like these labor leaders. I think that it's okay to cuss. It's okay to talk like the working person. And I, I, I think I'm attracted to it. I think people are attracted to it because you're no longer scripted. And everybody sees right through it because you were saying earlier, like you trust workers when they decide to organize, when they decide to go on strike. Workers are smart. They detect bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, I know when I'm talking to people, I have to be as transparent as possible. Otherwise, they're going to call me out on my bullshit, and then they don't trust me anymore. And you break that trust. So I think, uh, I think that's a big thing with, like, scab. You break trust, and organized labor is all about trust. But speaking of uh, labor and leadership, you're, you're, you're a woman in a position <laughs> of leadership. You've been... You've been there for a while, whether it was at the Labor Council or in the Assembly or now at the State Fed. How is it? I know it's like a male-dominated mm -hmm. labor leadership is male-dominated. How is it for women of color to be uh, <laughs> in a position of power like that? Is it because uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't know? I mean, well, I mean, I was just just in fact before getting here, right? Somebody had written on my Twitter. I, I think I used the word fuck, and they said, oh, that's really ladylike. Yeah. Okay, mm. that's shit you never say to a guy, right? right? You never come after a guy for using the F word, for cursing, for um, telling people what they're about, right? Then they're strong, they're decisive, they're, you know. And so I think a lot has, um, I've challenged those norms, and I'm willing to, and taken a lot of shit for it. And I think that's okay. I mean, I, I actually... 
I want to normalize women being strong and being able to play in the same kind of sandbox as any man. I think I was lucky. I grew up with two older brothers. Um, they beat the shit out of me. They were mean to me um, in the most loving way, of course. You <laughs> That's know, cut that out. Some <laughs> latchkey kid stuff. Um, but in a way, it just taught me that, you know, I wasn't going to play by some other rule. They weren't going to let me play. They weren't going to say, like, I couldn't be like, oh, don't talk that way in front of me. I'm a girl, you know, or don't do that to me. Um, and instead, I learned to just to to be who I am. And I think that that's important. So if people don't curse, that's fine, too. Um, but don't come at me for cursing. You know, I, I think that. I'm fr I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated on behalf of workers. So yeah, sometimes you say the F word, you know, sometimes you say shit, you call it like it is because the system's fucked up. The system is fucked up. And how else are you going to say that in a way that people understand and believe? Fuck it. Fuck it. it. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been proven that people trust people that cuss. So yeah. No. Well, as I always say, you don't always got to like what I'm saying, but you know, I'm going to say the truth. So it is what it is. There you go. You're right here. You're in their bust. Awesome. Um, well, it's been about. No, no. Well, I have one more question. One more? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll have a few more, but I want to sure. ask this one. At the state fed, what, what what are you all working at the state level? Like, I know unionized California. That's organizing. Right. That's mm -hmm. union stuff. But what about legislatively? Uh, is there any bills that you're working on to help? To, to push labor or that we should be supporting or Absolutely. know of? So there's a couple. One of our priority bills this year really is, um, it's the second bill we've done on kind of this technology, but that I think will lead the way in many bills that we'll be doing in the future. And that is what we call the driverless truck bill. Basically saying, if you have a big rig, if you have a, a large bus, um, that you can't put it on the road without a human being on it. We're seeing what autonomous vehicles are doing in San Francisco, causing havoc. Can you imagine if that was a big rig? And we know that the California DMV right now is getting ready to test those. So we're trying to stop that. And we're trying to save those good Teamster jobs at the same time as making sure everybody's safe on the road. You know, um, People say, well, the the uh, technology is there. Well, the technology is there for a plane to basically fly itself, but you're not getting on a plane without a pilot. And we should have the same kind of standards on our highways. So that is one bill that we actually have gotten broad bipartisan support. Um, it's going to come down to the governor. You know, it's going to come down to the governor who, who I think sometimes probably has spent more time at cocktail parties with tech bros than he has with Teamsters who drive trucks. So um, we're hopeful that we can express to him um, how important this is. Uh, we have a couple we're just introducing, even though it's the end of session, to help with striking workers, um, unemployment insurance for, for striking workers. We had tried to do that in 2019. I carried that bill. We were two votes short in the Senate on the last night of session. Um, and then we entered the pandemic, so we kind of let it go. Uh, New York and New Jersey have it. So the writers who are out today, the actors who are out today um, in California don't even have the same support that their counterparts in New York have. I did um, not know that. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's insurance. It's been paid for. They should have the right to access that if they're on the picket line. So we're pushing that kind of late session um, to ensure that that gets done it as well. We have a couple other bills um, to... Stop uh, captive audience meetings, of course. If you organize, you know what one of those are. You know, when the employer forces a worker to sit in and and hear uh, basically the propaganda of, about the how bad the union is. Um, 
as well as sometimes that happens in politics and happens religiously, and we want to get rid of all of those. Um, so we have quite a few bills. We're also spending a lot of our time doing capacity building. And what does that mean? So throughout the state, we've been holding organizing institutes. Um, I know we had one here in San Diego. Uh, we've had uh, them in the Bay Area. We are going to next week, or no, the end of this week, in fact, we're going to be in Riverside. Um, and that's built so that our unions can have somewhere to send active union members, staff who want to learn how to organize. It's a three-day opportunity to learn. Um, we're going to continue to build. Uh, we, we've had a strike school for unions that want to go on strike and that their workers need to, their their um, union members need to learn how to go talk to people about the strike. And uh, really, it's been a great experience to show that we're really focused on getting people back to talking to one another, talking about the labor movement, organizing. Right. Wow, you guys have your uh, hands full. Yeah. We do, but it's fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to always be involved, always have our members involved. And yeah, I, we were part of that organizing uh course here in San Diego back in February and I think we just need to continuously be doing those type of trainings and stuff because even as an organizer I think I know it all but we don't we just don't everything evolves mm -hmm. every organizing campaign is different from the previous ones I've won some I've lost some but that's how that's how it goes so yeah well I was you know I I I, I attended the training but I had to leave early because of the strike Oh, that's but right. I was able to get some of the information, and I use that to that's help motivate awesome. the workers. So it's you don't organizers, you know, get a lot of credit for organizing, but re union representatives, you know, we definitely have to organize. We do internal organizing. All right, Chris, right. it's not a competition, yeah. Chris. Anyway, <laughs> gotta, I'm trying to win Christ. <laughs> anyway, well, I hey. thought it was fun too. I mean, having gone to a few of them is watching the solidarity between the different unions, right? You have, you know, a union rep for UFCW sitting next to an organizer for the plumber sitting next to an active union member and the teachers. You can all learn from one another, maybe something that somebody's union does, somebody else's doesn't. And that's one of the things we're trying to ensure too. And then the exciting part is when we get them mixed up like this, uh, for example, we had a, a training for a strike school in LA. You had electricians coming out to support the, the art teachers who were going on strike um, because they'd been to strike school together, you know? And so it, it really does give them a better understanding because throughout that training process, they're learning somebody else's issues. They're like feeling it they're They want to be there for them. And so that's part of what we do. Yeah. We learn from each other. That's right. Solidarity. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm we, just a mom, right? I want everybody to get along. We're all important. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's important to be. It's for our rank and file to meet other rank and file from different unions, different trades, because it puts it humanizes that uh, that teacher, the firefighter, right? the plumber, the electrician. Because mm -hmm. now it's like, oh man, you guys have the, and it also draws parallels. Like, wait, you have the same issue that I had. Mm -hmm. I thought teachers had it all good and they were getting paid good. but So it really starts humanizing it. And then they bring that back to their union, their local, their friends, their family. Yep. And they, they sympathize and empathize with each other. But cool. Well, we've had you for, for you know, about an hour. And uh, any last words, Lorena, before we, we let you go and we put a, a bow on this? No, I just, you know, thank you for doing this. Keep 
beating that drum, letting people know about the union movement, letting them know that they can, uh, if they want a union in the workplace, they can go to unionizecalifornia.org and we will help them find the appropriate union, the appropriate union organizer, and just keep highlighting it. I mean, nothing is more important than getting that word out, and this is one of many ways. So thank you. Thank you for having me. One hot labor summer. Hot labor summer. There you go. We're guilty of it. That's all right. We're, we're, We're about to transition to... Endless Union Summer. Endless Union Summer. See, you guys got a preview of my next uh, hashtag. You heard it first. You heard it first. (laughs) Union or bust. I told you. Union or bust. All right, cool. Endless Union Summer.